Generation Red Pill. You know us, just two guys going beyond conspiracy theories, getting right to the heart of the conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears, my co-host Christopher Dean. Where are you at? Join us as we go behind enemy lines to reveal the truth about another aspect of this occult matrix as we discuss in this week's Intel Briefing. How the hell did we end up here with John the Fed? Was the carpenter of Nazareth just a good moral teacher, or did his life, death, and resurrection mark the most significant event in all of history? We're going to talk about this and much more coming up right here on Operation Red Pill. Gentlemen, everyone from across the podverse, welcome back to another episode of Operation Red Pill, where we like to take you beyond conspiracy theories and get you right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. Christopher, we were recently on the show, John the Fed, where we talked about a number of things. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a good time. It was, man. We talked about how in the world did humanity end up where we find ourselves today. We covered the cosmic chess match, the fall of mankind, the metaphysical nature of blood and how quantum entanglement supports salvation through Jesus's blood, the nature of the satanic control matrix, and even whether or not having a relationship with God is really important. Just a few yeah. things we sprinkled on Just- while we were over there. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think he was prepared for, for what we brought to the table. <laughs> no, because this was really our first time on the show, man. It was, it was it a was. great time, too. Yeah, we hadn't even met him before. So it's not like, you know, we we had a lot of correspondence and, and then he brought us on his show. Like, this is the first time we ever talked to the guy. And we just came out guns blazing a little bit. <laughs> you talk about fire hosing a person, man. We should probably send him, like, some roses and an apology card. Yeah, maybe some chocolate turtles. Well, I don't want him to get too attached. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Well, I don't think we have. I, I, I don't think that's going to be a problem because he hung up on us immediately he after the episode did. was over. I was like, that hurts. I felt that some hurts. kind of way about it. <laughs> I also looked at the clock and was like, ooh, I can go have lunch. <laughs> I quickly Maybe found, he's not so bad after all. <laughs> I quickly found that the key to me forgiving people is lunch. <laughs> Chocolate like, turtles. Right. I think Jesus is on to something here. No, man, Uh, but it it was really a a great time. And we had a really good conversation, covered a lot of ground. And I believe his show really hinges on discovering why or how humanity got to its current position. Like what each person thinks is the problem that's really led to where we are today, right? Yeah, and I actually, uh, unfortunately, I didn't have... uh the moment to tell him, I forgot about it, but I really appreciate his, the the show that he has. Cause a lot of people are big on just kind of the open forum communication, you know, it'll go wherever, you know, it takes us and it, and that works, but there's no guarantee that it's going to, you know, interest people, you, you know, right. it, it's kind of hard to, to, to put out a consistently good show if, if, if that's what you're doing. I mean, some people c- can do that. It just is really difficult. So the fact that he has a show that's kind of styled like that, but has an anchor, a strong anchor to, to guide the conversation, but also an anchor that's broad enough that it can invite, 
um, the, the different opinions and views on things that we're all struggling with. Like, it seems relatively simple, but I think it's genius in, in his execution. Yeah, it's really cool the way he's done that. And I like the fact that as soon as you start talking with him, you really get hit kind of with this this unassuming um, position of a theologian. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times he, he was kind of in this this uh, kind of regressed mode, chill, laid back. And then he'd scoot forward and say something just huge. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's where we are. Okay, cool. Let me, right, let me like, button down the hatches a little bit tighter here. That's that's not that's cool. I, I can compete. I just didn't know right. this was how we was rolling. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It was a good time. It really was. Oh, one other thing we need to mention before we get started. We did experience some audio issues on John's microphone. So from time to time, his audio may be a little hard to understand or may drop out a bit. We tried to fix that as best we could in post, but um, hopefully people don't find it too distracting. And I hope everyone enjoys this conversation that we had with John the Fed, where we talk about how the hell did we end up here? All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of How the Hell Do We Wind Up Here podcast. Join with the uh, illustrious gentleman from the Operation Red Pill, uh, the podcast, as their name uh, so so says. So thank you for coming on. Uh, for those of you new to this podcast, which is probably just about anybody listening because we're still under 20 episodes, uh, you know, the premise of the podcast is pretty simple. We all know the world's a messed up place. We all can identify where it's kind of gone wrong. Um, but in my uh, kind of starting this, the thought has been that the podcast community is really good about throwing out, you know, keywords. We'll say things like, you know, uh, Masons or lizard people or Nephilim, but then we leave it at that. Like we, we drop these big words, these big phrases, but we never really that. And that's a, that's a general term because there are guys like you guys out there and some other ones who do a really good job of backing up what they say. But really what I wanted to do is just kind of take a look at how we got to this point that we're at today. Not so much that we are at this point because we all know, but we can all kind of take a step back, look back and go, this is how we got to this point. You know, this is how I think it led up to here. Here's a couple examples and uh, maybe at the end kind of find a way to get out of it or, you know, make it better for ourselves and uh and everything like that so uh so with that gentlemen um i guess we'll go ahead and start it off and so the the question of the whole thing is you know when you take a look at this world just kind of what's uh what's your take on it where uh you know where did it get where's it messed up at in your mind or the biggest ones because like, there's probably thousands but you know maybe one or two and just how do we get there christopher what year were you born man 1986. I think that's when it started going awry. <laughs> 85 was all right. 82 was a great year, but 86, nah, I got a little dice. That's funny. <laughs> <sighs> My bad. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, that's funny. That's the quickest episode we've ever done, guys. Thanks for coming on. Uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, hopefully, we could do this again sometime. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, totally awesome. <laughs> No, uh, it's actually our contention that 
you know, if we're looking at what here is, so our current and past wars, the destruction of the currency via uh, central banking, uh, dumbing down of the citizenry propagated by our Prussian educational model, the hidden hands of government that are propped up by the uh, stilts and secret societies, atrocities committed by bloodline families, brainwashing in the media, the assault and rape of our children, destruction of nuclear family, physical and mental torture performed by covert organizations, and just the overall gross moral decay of our society. I think that they represent an integrated response to the operational success of the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. So you just kicked the door open like that, huh? Yeah, that's a lot. It, it is. It is. And, and I get how it sounds. You know, it sounds kind of hyper religious and reeks a little bit of, you know, the stuffy church without air conditioning. Um, but I really think that, you know, no matter how conditioned we are against the idea that Jesus is the, a, a central point in our history and that it actually affects where we are today, it's, it's our understanding here at Operation Red Pill that it remains the truth. And I think a lot of times, you know, kind of like what you were saying, John, um, you know, people will say that this is satanic or that is satanic. And even if it's true, most of the people making those claims lack the ability or the information to unpack that idea and actually have it make sense. Right. Yeah. So hopefully we're not going to do that with this <laughs> episode. I want to, I made a bold statement. We made a bold statement, but um, hopefully we can unpack it and really connect some dots. Yeah, man. Let's, uh, so he, let's get into it. Okay, cool. So here's how it works. The the introduction of Jesus into the timeline actually threatened the very existence of the satanic protocol set forth in ancient times. And Satan had to respond and change his tactics to this new threat. And Satan being a lesser being than the the almighty God now has to rule by by different means. So Satan's actually a master tactician at spiritual guerrilla warfare, and he seeks total operational control. You know, being a finite creature with his limitations, you know, he doesn't possess the limitless attributes of the creator of the universe. So, you know, he's not sovereign, which is having all authority. So he has to, um, you know, compensate for that with extreme or uh, uh, absolute force, which is domination. He's not all loving. He can't compel people to do things um, from a position of love, he can only compel them through fear, which would be intimidation. And he's not omniscient, which is all knowing. So he has to implant his mind into you. So you kind of think and, and, and function the way he wants you to. And this is manipulation. And anytime you have domination, intimidation, and manipulation, we've got to think witchcraft. Those are the three main, main components of witchcraft. But I think I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. Let me uh, back up to to know how we got here, which is the whole point of your show, John. I think it's important to triangulate what exactly here is, just to make sure we're we're kind of all on the same page. So beyond just the current circumstances of our personal personal lives, mankind is being pursued by two celestial forces: the author of order and the enactor of chaos. So these are found in the personhood of God, who is the creator of all things, and Satan, the agent of chaos. So we were created with purpose, and this purpose, purpose is vested in the fact that we were created in the very image of God, and with that comes a responsibility to uphold that image. We were created to rule, to judge, and most of all, 
We were created to be in relationship with God, to enjoy the pleasure of access, communication, and relationship with the Most High God. Now, I get the relationship part sounds pretty trivial, but we have to look at the fact that many sociological studies have proven that the relationships we have play a fundamental role in actually developing who we are and who we become. Right. You know, like just look at some of the stats for people lacking relationship with their parents. You know, girls who live in a father's home have a 100% higher risk of suffering from obesity than girls who have their father present. Teen girls from father's homes are also four times more likely to become mothers before the age of 20. Children without a father are four times more likely to be living in poverty than children with the father. 85% of youth who are currently in prison grew up in a fatherless home. Children who live in a single parent home are more than two times more likely to commit suicide than children in a two parent home. 75% of rapists are motivated by displaced anger that's associated with feelings of abandonment that involves their father. And children from fatherless homes are twice as likely to drop out of school before graduating than children who have a father in their lives. So, as Christopher was saying, if a proper relationship with your parents has this much of an impact on you and on how you turn out, then a proper relationship with the creator of the universe is bound to have an even greater impact on who we become. Exactly. Exactly. So I think God, per his purpose and pleasure, you know, he desires us to um, desires us to reach our full potential according to our design. And this, um, this has to include a close, intimate relationship with him. You know, the, I think that the Bible is a story, if nothing else, of God in constant pursuit of humanity, who for the most part is really just pursuant of self and instant gratification, right? Satan, on the other hand, is also pursuing man, but for completely different reasons. So one is that uh, I would say his hatred for Yahweh is really just projected onto us, you know, because we're created in his image. And the second reason is because um, he has a tactical plan uh, for achieving his selfish goals. And not the least of these is to raise his throne to the height of God. Dan Duvall talks about how the original Hebrew in Genesis 1 seems to suggest that uh, in their creation, the destiny of the heavens was nailed to the earth and the destiny of the earth was nailed to man. So in layman's terms, in order for Satan to get access, the, the access that he desires to place his throne in the heavens, he actually needs humanity. It's, it's, it's part of his, his tactical plan. And if he can dominate mankind, he has the earth. And if he has the earth, then that gives him the window of opportunity to get into heaven. Chuck Missler has said uh, a, a bunch of times that we are both the pawn and the prize of a divine conflict that's etched into prehistory. Yeah, so those are, those are, go ahead. No, I was, was going to say that's a lot. That's a lot, especially with not knowing what you guys are coming with and trying to process it in a span of like three minutes. Um <laughs> But no, I, I agree. You know, I, I, I think, you know, you, you look at these kids, you know, I have the luxury of my wife's a teacher. We've got friends and family who are teachers um, and they're all in the young ones. And, and you see these kids who really don't know either what their place is in this world or um, they come from a single parent household, you know, and the world tells them they have to be one way, but mom wants them to be, a, you know, a different way or or whatever. And it, it's, they definitely are lost. It's, uh, Doug, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, Doug Hamp. He's a Christian. He, he was a pastor through the Calvary yeah. Chapel movement. Um, he wrote a book, a couple books, uh, about corrupting the image and how basically that's 
Satan's whole plan is to basically corrupt our corrupt our his his process on it is to corrupt our DNA because you corrupt our DNA, then he can that's his building block to build on top to get to where like what you were talking about because you know mankind and and this earthly realm are basically kind of like codependent on each other and if he can control if he control one then he, can, then he definitely can control the other exactly right. And uh, I think uh, uh, an aspect of that would be humanity's right to rule over the planet. Because it, uh, it was the, uh, the second command that God gave mankind, right, Jason? To, uh, to rule and have dominion over the earth. The dominion mandate? Yeah, dominion mandate. Thank you. But in the Garden of Eden, we changed our allegiances and we had forsaken the kingdom of God. We willingly violated, and we as humanity willingly violated a, a contract by eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in doing so, this subjugated ourselves under the law and authority of the serpent, which actually fulfills satanic law, do as thou wilt, which is what Aleister Crowley taught us. So is it your contention that was, was Satan's plan, uh, was his plan the whole time to corrupt the image in the way that it's getting to now, do you think? Or do you think it was initially just a separation thing um, in the garden? And I know the Bible's the Bible's very quiet on that. And so, you know, I know the old adage is where the Bible is loud, we're supposed to be loud, or the Bible's silent, we're supposed to be silent. But at the same time, just, you know, for giggles, kind of, you know, do you think it was his contention the whole time to completely wreck the narrative or do you think it's something a plan that has grown kind of as his as, as his strength has grown maybe if that makes sense well i i definitely think that there's like increased technology and stuff i mean if we look at how just our technology has increased over the last 100 years i don't think that we could discount the fact that celestial technology has also had you know time to increase so i think that has kind of um if there is like a gained strength yeah. or whatever, uh, uh, I think uh, that can either come from, you know, dealings with humanity or this, this technology that we're dealing with. But if we tie all the way back to the, I can't remember them offhand, but the five I wills, you know, the things that Satan right. said in his heart, you know, I'll raise my throne to that of the most high. He is such a clever entity. And I think we really have to, you know, appreciate our enemy and know what he's capable of. It doesn't make sense to me that if he has a list of specific goals that he wants to achieve, that he's going to show up in the Garden of Eden just to kind of mix things up a little bit. I think every step of the way, it has been part of his plan to achieve the desires of his heart, which is to um, set his throne, you know, to 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 replace right. God or at least be as great as he is. So I think that if it is. Like if the corrupting the image aspect comes into play, it's a means to an end of his ultimate goals. Yeah, I've always wondered since he's not, you know, since he's not all knowing and he's not all powerful that, you know, that the, 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 that all of his whatever has to come through, through the creator, through, through God, basically. If you ever get surprised that something actually worked, like if it works and he kind of looks around and goes, hmm. I didn't think that was actually going to happen. So maybe I can build on top of that now, you know, sort of thing. What would you say, Jason? I think there's a lot of uh, uh, organic development in the plan as well, because as God sets things in order, Satan has to respond back. 
And even the 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 war that was enacted in Genesis, God initiated war. Like God's the one that declared there's going to be war. Or there's going to be en- enmity between your seed and her seed. Right. He's the one that actually put forth the, the proto evangelum and stated the fact that now we're going to have conflict. Yeah. And I think at that moment, Satan was like, oh, <laughs> so that's a new piece of information. I, what, what's this uh, her seed <laughs> business? We, we haven't had any other peoples on the planet. And I see what uh, we're talking some new information here. And each time it's kind of interesting. Um, I think Chuck Missler was another person that said this. Each time that God gives more information on his plan, it helps the enemy zero in his focus because he's limited in knowledge. And so the plan now has to adapt a bit. Oh, God said that there's going to be a a man child coming from this woman. Now I got to focus on male children. Oh, God said that there's a chosen group of people coming from this line. Now I got to focus on them. You know, you start to see this back and forth, what L.A. Marzulli calls a cosmic chess match that's constantly going on between Satan and God. But Satan's always on the the inferior side of it. He's always in a response position, whereas God's not responding so much to Satan. Like, I see that gone at Satan. You, you, that was a clever move. I didn't see that coming. You know, it's never that. It's just, <laughs> all right, here's my move, and you'll make your move, and I, I've got 60,000 more downwind, but we'll play this out. And so I think Satan's constantly having to try to adapt as best as he can. What I can't figure is how he constantly keeps his horde of evil spirits in check with how many failures he seems to constantly suffer throughout history. Cause it's not like these plans ever truly work. You get a little bit of momentum, but I'm like, how do you convince the next one? This next plan, I'm telling you, this is diabolically good. We got it. Like, now you said that six other plans well, ago. It, I don't know. They showed in all the Marvel movies, right? If, like when somebody disagrees and they're struck by a lightning bolt from whoever, you know, is in charge of the, I'm sure it's the same way there too. If somebody, some demon or whatever speaks out, then they're gonna, you know, they probably get zapped or, you know, back to the end of the line at least or something. Possibly. (laughs) Right. The the other thing though is that Satan, we know that he's a uh um could you say master trader? That doesn't seem like a very scholarly statement. But it was the the abundant the abundance of his trade, right? That he became violent. And and I think Dan Duvall mentioned the fact that he might not be like the most powerful, right? He might not be like the heavyweight of the celestial realm. He what might be the case is that he has contracts and and, and made deals with all these other people through his his trade and his dealings. So they might be obligated to fall in line because they're can contracted with him whether or not they like it whether or not they think it's going to work they might not have much of a choice because of what they've traded That's with lucifer point. yeah well in second second corinthians Thanks. talks about i think the word is cunning that that he's he's it talks about when he was with eve that he was he deceived her by his cunningness and so i'm sure it's the same way you know that the way that he the way that he acts you know being a what does he call it? Angel of light, you know, or whatever. I'm sure he can wrap just about anything up and make it look, you know, presentable and make it look really, really well done. Well, that's a good point because Eve did what he wanted and she thought she was just doing her own thing. So yeah, he did the little switcheroo there. Well, I mean, the (laughs) Genesis shows how he presented it too, right? He's, 
It's like, no, 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 it's not. That's you misunderstood. You, you know, you, you miss, you misheard, you miss, you know, you all that stuff. So, right. Yeah. That's interesting. But yeah, I think the, 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 at least for the, the corrupting the image part, you know, is exactly like you were saying, Jason, God said, it's from these people that redemption is going to be had. So that's when Satan's like, okay, now I've got to form my tactics, right? So this is when the, the 200 watcher class angels decided to come down and make wives of, of the women, take them, you know, and then they educated and contaminated the human race. And I, I mean, cause it's a, it's a pretty genius plan. Like, I don't know if it's the, the translation or the fact that because if the, the Bible is an integrated message system, it had to be written with such a way that it anticipates hostile jamming. And it does this by being written using technology called holography. So I don't know if that makes it a little bit difficult. Like, why don't you just tell us that Satan was like, oh, you know, the, the, there's, there's a separation between what happened in Eden and then the angels that came down. Like, there's no at least for us, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of connectivity and that would help in the, so I think, but it's really a, a genius. I think that there, I think that there is, and this is where I kind of land on all, on all of this, the 66 books that we have that were put together, you know, we all kind of know the, the story as to how it was put together. But one of the things I don't think we ever talk about, and I think it's because we don't know is the information that was left out that's hiding in some 13 mile underground tunnel underneath this small little city in Italy called the Vatican. You know, there's I think there's so much more information that's out there. We get little glimpses of it if we read things like Jubilees or Enoch or, you know, the Book of Giants and some of these other ones. But I don't know if we're ever going to get the the. I don't really know if we're ever going to really get the clear picture as to what actually happened and what was going on. And even what the ultimate, ultimate truth really, really, really like inside the whole thing. I know Jesus is the truth. I know, I, I know that, what, but I'm just saying just all of the, the 100% truthful answers that are out there. I think, I think they're hidden. I don't think we're ever going to get those. And I think it's really weird that we get six sentences or whatever that is in Genesis six about the Nephilim and the angels. And then that's like, that's it. It's just this, it's this little passage of scripture that if you read it the way it is, like it, it does not belong there other than it got put there somehow. I don't know why I'm glad that it did because it gives us information, but I don't think we're mm -hmm. ever going to have the, the, the whole the whole information is a package. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even the 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 Bible, like, I th what is it? Corinthians. There's first and second Corinthians, but within those letters, we know that Paul wrote other letters yep. to the Corinthian churches. So I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far to say that like what we have is is corrupted is to to say that like there's been a bunch of false things added, but I think definitely there are some things that that might be missing so i'll put it i'll i'll put it like this and i and, and i'll let it land if you guys want to chase it you we more than welcome to if we just kind of want to let it go and and not and save it for another time but i think we can all agree that as a whole religion is definitely something that is there to one divide man and two really to conquer man and to keep them under control and so when you can control what what information is is let out it's 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 a lot easier to be able to control people that way in my in my opinion so what do you mean when you say religion a man-made construct okay 
So, yeah, when I say religion, I'm saying more as a Christianity as a whole, you know, what it is today versus I think what maybe the intention of it was when, you know, or what it's supposed to look like. Same thing with, you You know, you if you want to put Catholicism under the Christianity label, leave it on its own. I think it falls the same, the same way. We can say, you know, Christianity is definitely something that's led by, or Catholicism is definitely, definitely something that's led by a man. And they, they are the ones who really put the charge into putting the Bible together. And, you know, we're, we're the big, the big church in the beginning of the church starting really, you know, for, for thousands and thousands of years, you know? So when I say religion, that's more what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, you know, your, your Southern Baptist church down the street or your Calvary chapel down this way or something like that. I mean, religion just kind of as a, as a whole, which I, I get, um, I, I think one one of the things that um, Christopher and I are constantly trying to do, especially when we talk, is define our terms. And the reason for that right. is that we find that there's so much lost in translation when I'm thinking one thing and he's thinking something else. And, and then we're trying to make a point. We're like, wait a minute, that doesn't all equal up and, and add up. And I think the same thing happens right. in, in public discourse because we've got so much prior information that's coming to the the discussion that we we start off thinking hey we're probably on the same page and, and we may not be and, and here's one of the things that i i mean you know in general most people say religion I, I think they would probably agree right with the definition that you gave but i think one of the things that it misses is the fact that there's a true religion and a false religion from a biblical perspective and true religion which is based on the you know the king priest model that's set up in the bible and facilitated throughout Eden and, and the rest of scripture does have attributes to it. That's designed to control behavior so that there's proper protocols and things that, that are carried out, but it's not the same as false religion. False religion is man-made for sure, but also puts man at the focal point as opposed to God and the, right. the apparatus, the mechanisms that are used to really make that, a widespread reality, I would agree with you, are very controlling in nature. And I think that it's it's very deceptive. The problem is those two aspects get put on top of each other in people's minds. And they don't make the distinction between the true and the false yeah. aspect. And I think it's very important. So when I say when I say religion, what I'm what I'm so I'll back up and I'll I'll put out there I grew up in a very fundamentalist Southern Baptist church. Mm -hmm. Very traditional, very, and from by the time, so I got quote unquote saved, became a believer, or whatever, when I was five, six, maybe something like that. Okay. And from that point on, I was taught more as to what it's like to be a good little Southern Baptist boy mm -hmm. than what it is to be a man of God, right? right? So as a Southern Baptist to go to this church, we don't drink, we don't dance, we don't smoke. We don't chew and we don't hang around with girls who do, you know, those were the, <laughs> those, those were the rules that you had to follow as a, as a Southern Baptist. So when I say religion, I think I mean more rules, mm -hmm. like religion is there to establish rules. It's not about you go on the flip side. You want to talk about a relationship with your savior. That's a whole different, that's a whole different argument. That's all or not argument, but conversation. But as far as religion goes, I think religion is just, it's a way to put man-made rules on how to on how to worship or on how to be a part of this community because apparently we have the right track sort of thing. 
which I think is dangerous on another flip side of itself because to say that the Holy Spirit's talking for a pastor to say that the Holy Spirit's talking to him stronger than the church down the street and the church down the street is wrong. That's a whole other, you know, those are just some of the, some of the problems um, that I see with it, I guess. Gotcha. Christopher, you got a smirk over there, man. What's that? What's that smirk? <laughs> no, there's just like, the, there's, there's stuff we want to cover. And then there's, there's this. <laughs> and we can, I just, like I said, I kind of threw it out there. I know you guys have the stuff you wanted to cover. So that can always be a discussion for, no, no. for another time at it. Cause it, I know it's a big, I don't think Christopher's going to be able to let it go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let, let me just add a little bit and then, and then maybe we can move sure. on. It's, it, it's interesting. Just the, the overall concept that any particular thing would be set up or just used to control people when, and, it, and it's used, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you use it as a sense that it's bad because it was designed to control people or intended or can't even be used to control people. And thus, it is a bad thing, right? Is that kind of what you were saying? So I, don't, I, w- I won't say that it's intended use was, but I think the outcome of man being behind it, mm-hmm. man being behind religion, not behind relationship, but man being behind religion is what is has, has corrupted it to... You know, even <laughs> I don't know how deep you want to get into it because I can. <laughs> no, it's 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 fine. I just wanted to make the yeah. point that the the humanity in their fallen state requires some type of control mechanisms put in place and run by other men at some point in time. Because even the model that Jason w- was just talking about in the in the Old Testament had a priest class, and there are people put in place to help control. Because without any mechanism of control, we're just talking about anarchy, and clearly anarchy doesn't work, or else we'd still be in a state of anarchy. So I just think that the, the concept that if something is used to control makes it makes it bad. Well is 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 a little bit of so, a so the, the, a misstep. The, the, the offset of that is even though let's say it was used to control, let's say it's even old Testament times, you know, because we'll, we'll talk about old Testament times, the, the people, the Jews in the old Testament, even if it quote unquote was there to control them, which I'm not saying it was, I think it was there to, to, you know, to guide them, but they still went off the rails all on their own, you know? So man mm-hmm. is, you know, so it's not, I think initially it was set up, to be to be a guide right i think that's you know here's your 10 commandments here's the other 600 and whatever laws that there are here's a priest who's going to converse with god here's my prophets who are going to be able to take my message sort of thing so i think that i think it was there but i think man man came in and it when man comes in and tries to take over something that god had set has set forth the the uh the outcome of it is never good right i think we can agree with that oh 100 percent. and yeah, so i yeah. think i think a lot of these these churches these religious organizations these um these belief systems whatever you want to call it they take god out of the equation because for them it becomes nickels and noses we've got to keep the lights on we got to have the internet we got to have smoke machines and gold dust and feathers falling from the ceiling and you know all the when god is taken out and it becomes just up to man's own devices. That's where my problem is with it. See, and I, I'd agree with you a hundred percent. I think that that okay. really represents false religion at that point. I'm not saying religion as a whole is there to, well, let me back that up. I'm not saying relationship with the, your creator as a whole is there to, to try to tell okay. you what to do. 
I think religion, when man steps in and takes God out of the gotcha. equation and says, as a Southern Baptist, as a Second Baptist, as an Anabaptist, as a this, as a that, this is how we have to worship based on gotcha. this, gotcha. you know, one of one of two or three thousand denominations that are out there. Yep. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. And actually that plays right into what we were talking about. Cause when the angels came divine intervention, and decided that they, <laughs> uh, when they came down and decided to make, uh, wives of the, the women and educate the people. And, you know, they, they rolled as the, the Nephilim Kings in those days. And this established the first world order. And it was done by eliminating God from the equation. So it's the it's the same type of evil control that you're saying seen right there in the antediluvian right. world. And so, for those listening who may not be familiar, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you just to clarify. Number one, the term antediluvian, when you say that, would be before the flood. Before okay. the, the flood. Just, and then uh, um, you were talking about the 200 watcher angels. For those listening as well, that that term, that that amount of number, you're not going to find that in the Bible, right? That's in extra biblical writings. You're going to find that in Enoch. You're going to find it in, in some of the other ones that are out there. So if you're listening, trying to flip through Genesis looking, you're not going to find it right now. You're going to have to Google Enoch and right. you'll get a little bit more uh, more info out of that. So. But no, like we were saying, you know, all, so all of this stuff, this back and forth that's happening, this cosmic chess match, as L.A. Marzulli calls it, this creates a situation that... Satan's got to respond back to and God too is responding back to things that Satan is doing. So God responds to Satan's contaminating of the human gene pool. And what he did was he divinely picked a human being uncorrupted by the, the celestial interference. And that was Noah. Noah in scripture is referred to as being perfect in his generations. And some people miss the fact that that's actually a scientific statement, not a morality statement. It's the fact that genetically speaking, he was without flaws. And what God did is he sent the flood to wipe out the rest of the corrupted DNA on the planet. Crazy thing is that three generations later, mankind still being influenced by Satan actually goes and decides to have this wonderful construction idea. And they built this tower of Babel. And the the thing is that it's not even about height. I mean, some people, they, they postulate that it was built in order to help survive another global flood. But more importantly, it was to serve as a stargate to reach heaven itself, which again was Satan's ultimate goal. And this was the creation of the second world order. Right. And uh, it's, it's interesting because the cosmic chess match, like LA, LA Marzulli was talking about the, the move counter move stuff. So, so God was um, not surprised like, like you were saying, Jason, you know, he's not the one that's just responding to the things that the right. enemy has done. He's the one that's, that's mapped it out. So um, that's when his way of refuting the, the, the Tower of Babel is by uh, confusing the languages. It resets the technology. And, and th- th- that's something that's really significant. You know, we think that people are just confused, but when people are not able to communicate, it really does reset their ability to build and craft, it, it sets it back to zero. And then, you know, it, and part of that, he was disinheriting the nations of the earth and just giving them to, you know, pretty much what they wanted just to themselves, but putting them under other angel, you know, principalities throughout the world. But God is in a constant pursuit of humanity. So he wasn't content to just leave the situation the way it was. I mean, I probably would have. 
if I if if, I, if my children were, were that terrible, I'd be like, okay, here you 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 know, I'm I'm done with you. You better than me, man. You're gonna actually turn the you're gonna actually turn- <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's it. Everybody out. What's that? What's that old? What's that old joke? Uh, down by the lake. That's where we're going to take all of y'all if y'all don't start acting right. <laughs> yeah, that's where it's going. It, what, you'll be living in a van down by the river? No, <laughs> no, like that lady that took her kids down to the lake, <laughs> drowned like the whole car. Keep messing with me. Oh. I will send a oh. cosmic flood. I'm trying to tell you. Get it straight. Stop screwing sheep and let's get it together. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But so... In God's pursuit, this is when he calls out Abraham, you know, to establish, you know, his chosen people, which I think is pretty amazing because, you know, when he makes the statement, I will be your God and you will be my people. This this was something that wasn't available to the rest of the world because of the continual um, rebellious behaviors. So, you know, it, uh, calling Abraham out established a new nation and they would... Um, be set apart from the pagan influences in the world. They would understand the divine standard of how they're supposed to behave through the law. And then they would also comprehend the power through the conquest of the non-human entities. And the beautiful part of all of that is it's from this people group that we get Jesus. And this is like the, as far as we're concerned, the central point of all history and, and essential in finding out how we ended up in the place that we are today. The main event is is Jesus being born. And he was born a virgin. And this is important. Uh, I know that you, I've listened to some, some of your other episodes and you have some contentions of the, you know, the prophecies on whether or not it was a young woman or a virgin and all of that. But I think, I think it's important um, because being a virgin uh, he didn't inherit the curse of his father, right? Which was the subjugation, the blood curse of sin, subjugation uh, unto the serpent. And he go. Looks like you want to say well, something. Go so ahead. I just want to clear up my contention on on young maiden virgin. So, so my my contention with it is this, and this has only risen in the past couple years um, as I've really tried to start doing more of a deep dive into, into what the Bible says. So Matthew uses that that term when he when he talks about Mary being a virgin when Jesus is born, right? And he, and he, and he, references, he references a verse in, in Isaiah. It's like Isaiah, I don't remember, 53 or I don't remember. I know it's in Isaiah somewhere. So mm-hmm. that prophecy was not about Jesus when you read it in Isaiah. That's my contention with that verse and how people use it. It's not so much the word as much as it is in Isaiah. Okay. There, Jerusalem is being under siege, and the prophet tells the king, there will be a woman, a young, a young woman, and that word is Alma, A-L-M-A-H. It has never been used for the word virgin other than that one place. Any other time that word is used, it means young maiden, young female, it, but it doesn't ever mean virgin, even though it can. And so people say that when Matthew used that, that he, that, that was, a, or that when it was used in Isaiah, it's a prophecy for that in Matthew. And it's not because that prophet is saying, I'll be back in a year's time. There'll be a young woman who has a, who has a baby. And when that baby is born, you will be redeemed. And so that's, that's more my contention with 
when things are used not in the way and i think matthew's just saying hey remember this verse remember when this popped up in our in our in our people's history well look our redemption has come but i don't there's no way that verse was ever a, a ever a prophetic verse for for jesus in my in my opinion you know of taking half a semester of theology so so when 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 my contentions look okay. when okay. it's a contention, it's with that word or it's with how people use it versus what it what it is because the word is the word is what it is. It's you know it it just it is it's like the color red. The color red is the color red, you know. So, um, but yeah, my contention is more with how they use it. I gotcha. I gotcha. Uh, we we still hold to the to the idea though that Jesus was born. Yeah, and I'm not saying he's not. I'm not saying he wasn't at all. I'm oh, just you saying just have an issue with the way that that particular. Yeah, I'm just saying when somebody's trying to use a verse for prophecy, when that verse wasn't a prophetic verse at all, sort of thing. Okay, I gotcha. I gotcha. So yeah, so Jesus was born, and he didn't inherit the blood curse, and he was also the first one to fulfill the divine standard, which is Mosaic law. He's the only human in history to not bend a knee to the satanic law as do as thou wilt. And this allowed Jesus to maintain the dominion mandate separate from the authority of Satan. This meant that the rule of the earth was once again outside of the government of Satan and aligned through Jesus under the direct authority of God. However, then this is kind of interesting. It did nothing to assist the rest of mankind from escaping the, the, the dominance and the, the torment of, of Satan's authority and reach. Um, it was written into the original contract with God that the price for violating that identical contract was blood and death. And that didn't change just because Jesus fulfilled the law, but Jesus as a man was the only one not required to pay that particular price to fulfill the letter of the law. And this allowed him to, um, instead of leaving man, Jesus paid the price and the, uh, blood and death for humanity. The the thing that they couldn't pay themselves. That's an interesting point. I never considered the fact that it didn't do anything for humanity initially, initially other than give them the opportunity to, to take it for themselves. That's interesting. I never, I never looked at it like that. Here's just crazy, man. Our, our, oh. our blood at a quantum level functions as a Tesla step up coil antenna it can be attenuated to particular frequencies. And when you take quantum entanglement or as Albert Einstein loved to call it, you know, spooky movement at a distance, you know, it states that, that things that are entangled respond to all other things that are quote unquote entangled despite locality or time. So when it comes to the to human blood, it's all entangled at some point. Now I know that sounds a little messy, you know, the era of HIV. I'm like, I don't really want my blood entangled with other things, but this is talking on it <laughs> from, from a quantum level. And it, it's really interesting. They've done experiments on this to prove this point where you can actually take a vial of your own blood, separate it vast distances. Like we're here in the States. You could send it over to Australia. And here in the States, if you were to watch a movie that genuinely scared you and the, the, the hormones that would be released in your blood, it would actually show up also with the blood that was over in Australia really? because they're linked and they're linked at, at, at a quantum mm -hmm. level. So when the price for violating the identic uh, contract as Christopher, you were talking about was paid by Jesus Christ. It affected the blood of every other human being past, present and future. 
it could now be attenuated to the frequency of the most high God. And the Bible also says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Now, that might seem strange, but the the relatively new study of epigenetics actually shows us that everything we do in our lives imprints onto our DNA. So much so that your grandfather's diet actually makes changes in your genetic code that manifest in behavioral changes in your life. So a strongly held belief and a confession will have epigenetic consequences on your DNA, the same DNA that is entangled with the blood of Jesus Christ, granting us access to the creator of all things, God himself. Like this is it's crazy. I love that. I love that. So at this point in the story, Satan has lost his legal right to the earth and humanity has been given an escape clause from their action-based agreement with Lucifer that happened in the garden of Eden. So where the earth kind of stands today, I think of it similar to getting your car repossessed. So before people are sent to reclaim your car for the bank, there are actually requirements that change the legal rights to your car out of your name and into the name of the bank, which gives them the, the legal right to act on that. And only after this event are people hired to do the physical repossession. So in that time, depending on how defiant you are, you know, you might either trash the car or hide it, you know, so nobody can come and take it. And in the very same way, the legal rights to the earth changed from Satan and now belong to Jesus Christ. However, Jesus has yet to come and lay claim to what is legally his. <laughs> what? I literally just imagine Jesus showing up, like back it up an angelic tow truck to the earth. <laughs> Satan wasn't paying attention. He was concocting some plan. All of a sudden he comes back and the earth is missing. So what happened? <laughs> uh, yeah, we repossessed the earth that wasn't yours. You never had the rights to it. I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll take it from here, Lucy. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but he's going to be coming back and he's going to take it by force. You know, if you look at the the scroll mentioned in Revelation, you know, the what, what is it? The one that's got seven seals. It's actually thought by many scholars to be a land yeah. deed. And they think this because most scrolls didn't have writing on the outside of them. You know, the papyrus was usually rough, which made it difficult to write clearly. And uh, however, it was the normal practice to write on the outside of lands, land deeds to distinguish them from other documents. And and that's what, what is uh, represented in Revelation. So if the land deed of the earth now belongs to, to Jesus, it, it's, it will be claimed. In the interim, though, we are called to help as many people as possible escape their previously contractual agreement with death. And Satan is doing what he can and everything he can to prevent his forcible eviction from the earth. His primary effort is focused on the creation of his seed in man to contend legally with the land rights already secured by Jesus. Satan needs a replacement Christ. You think uh, he's going to get a security deposit back or is Jesus going to be like, uh, th this is not the condition we left. We left. You know, we're not, <laughs> oh yeah. There's, there's not getting no security, security deposit, deposit back. In back. fact, you owe me more. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. That's it. That's it. Oh, that's hope. Well that's put. Funny. I like that. <laughs> I think that's why he just burns the whole place up and starts over. Yeah, Satan's there with a the toothpaste filling in all the little holes from the nails going, no, no, I got it. It's good. I got it. Look, just a little bit of shine and we're good. No, 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 we're starting over. <laughs> it's not that no, bad. No, no, we, we, we got you. We, we see what you did with it. Yeah. yeah. Correct oh, his picture, hang it upright, you know, you're good. <laughs> 
Right, right. Right. So he's trying to like straighten up his little thing. Ah, oh, nah, it was always crooked like this, but I got right. it. Right. Nah. It came- that pothole, <laughs> that pothole in Egypt has been there. It, it came like this. It, it, was, it was broken when I got it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. He's talking to Jesus. He's like, oh, see what man. happened was. Like, nah, nah, we ain't buying like, You're that. not as unknowing as you thought you were because this is broken ahead of time. Exactly. And it just falls off the wall. <laughs> right. Oh, that's funny. But oh, I, I think this is why the different agendas that we see that were put in place because they were actually a response to this war. And that the power and influence that Christ followers have is unlike anything that the world has ever seen. I think that's why there's such a huge focus on downplaying the effects of the church and actually getting Christians as a whole to buy into this subculture of diffused Christianity or uh, everything that comes about from the the Enlightenment era, you know, when now we're dealing with rationalism, so things cannot be as supernatural as they are. Everything's natural based. And if things aren't as supernatural as they are, then the power that you have as an entity that has its seat in heaven and is designed to actually change the affairs on Earth, you you put all of that down. And I think that's an important thing that we miss because, you know, in the mere 300 years after Jesus resurrection, a severely persecuted church was able to upset the 2000 year old pagan Rome. In fact, Manly P. Hall, which is one of the most venerated Freemasons, had this to say, the rise of the Christian church broke up the intellectual pattern of the classical pagan world. By persecution of this pattern's ideologies, it drove the secret societies into greater secrecy. The pagan intellectuals then reclothed their original ideas in a garment of Christian phraseology, but bestowed the keys of the symbolism only upon those duly initiated and bound to secrecy by their vows. This is a crazy idea, but it's our enemy today. You know, we're talking the the World Economic Forum, international bankers, globalists, the Illuminati, the same groups who prophesied the first two world wars and predicted and controlled the conflicts that we see today in the Middle East admitted through Manly P. Hall that Christianity is actually their enemy. The power that's given to the church to persecute the false ideologies of these groups makes them a force to be reckoned with. And if the stories found in the Bible are completely fabricated, or at least if they're altered to fit the will of those in power, you got to ask yourself, why would those in power have created such an antagonistic tool like Christianity that would force them underground and nearly get them stomped out. The fact that truth in the Bible still has power to dismantle these elitist agendas is evident, and it seems to go beyond the typical controlled opposition. It bears the mark of a genuine threat to these secret societies and these elitist groups. The spiritual power that has been on a rise since the Tower of Babel was constructed had to change its tactics and go into hiding. And then using Christian terms, Christian titles and Christian phraseology, it tried to mask its operations. And we can see this quite clearly with the adoption of Christianity in Rome. You know, Constantine was the first, quote unquote, Christian emperor of Rome. And in his first address to the empire, he explained that the fourth eclogue of the poet Virgil actually was talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. The wild thing is it doesn't. It actually talks about the seed of Satan the Antichrist. This was the birth of the satanic control matrix, which we frequently talk about on our show. And it has three sectors to it, Alpha, Bravo, and Charlie, which are all tasked with three objectives, re-education, mind control, and the establishment of a new world order. 
And this is exactly what we see echo throughout history, especially with Constantine and what he had initiated by trying to reeducate the Roman elite with the coming Christ, which wasn't the biblical Christ, but rather the replacement one. Literally, he was teaching them the doctrines of demons. And then when it comes to mind control, which deals with desensitizing, jamming and the conversion of society through ideological subversion, we see this happening when Theodosius made Christianity the state religion. That resulted in the hybridization of Christianity with paganism. And that's something that's actually alluded to in the book of Revelation. And now that Christianity was so widespread throughout the, the Roman Empire and it carried the backing of the state of Rome, this created confusion in the minds of men that are watching these two superpowers, if you will, kind of coalesce together. And this this in turn sets up the attempt to establish a new world order, which we see manifest in the Crusades. This happened under Christian terminology, but they were carried out by pagan ethics of brute force and massive bloodshed, all to occupy land for the synagogue of Satan. We can tie this to the problems that we see today under the Novos Order Seclorum, which is a phrase that we see on the, the Great Seal of the United States, and it's taken from the same eclogue, Virgil's fourth eclogue. At least here in America, we're under the, the banner of the satanic control matrix. That ecologue never mentions Jesus, but it references several pagan deities such as Apollo and the reign of Saturn. The formation of the Catholic Church was the reclothing of the pagan world. But Christianity didn't just force Satan into hiding. It actually helped to free the minds of men from the bondage of pagan thought. It did. So th this is actually something that I like to talk about because people will mention or have mentioned the, the God of the gaps, right? They claim that the only reason that the pagans believed Poseidon controlled the ocean or Thor controlled lightning was because they didn't have the scientific answers to why those things actually happened. And it's a, it's a clever idea. It seems right on the surface, but why would anyone research or investigate the cause of lightning or why the tide comes in if they believe they already have the answer? Right. Christian theology actually emancipated the minds of the pagan culture and freed them to investigate God's world as it was created. So what, what do they say that the, the biggest impedance in the acquisition of knowledge is thinking that you already have it? And that's kind of what the, the pagan world was functioning with. The, the ancient world believed that they had the answer and therefore it needed no invest investigation. For instance, we have uh, Pythagoras thought that numbers, not matter, was the true nature of things. Uh, Heraclitus believed that everything in the universe was in flux, making matter impossible. Plato believed that form, you know, things like beauty, uh, that it was way more real than, than matter. And then Philo and the Gnostics actually believed that matter was the basis of evil. Nobody can decide, can they? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> They're all mixed up. But but none of that like opens the door to to discovery. You know what I mean? Yep. But Christianity taught that the that matter itself was good and that Christians should engage their minds towards it. To this day, a majority of Nobel Prize winners were followers of Jesus. 117 of the first 119 colleges were founded by Christians. Unfortunately, though, this isn't a, a one-sided war. So the counter move of the enemy was actually to hijack, hijack the, um, the intellectual prowess of the Christians in order to reinvent the new world order that was destroyed at Babel. And we see that the, the elite parasite class is not a class of 
non-religious peoples. They're actually hyper-religious. And this gets lost on people because I think a lot of times with, with so much browbeating of Christianity, we start to think that those who are in higher positions, as, as much rhetoric as they use, they, they don't have a religious view. And when you start doing the research and collecting the data points, you find out, no, they are deeply religious. They have some deeply held spiritual views. The secret societies that are pulling the strings actually hold to a religious view, one where they're trying to terraform the moral and technological landscape to make way for their Messiah. Unfortunately, the ground that they've been able to gain was first abandoned by Christians. For instance, five years before the Scopes trial in 1925, which is the same trial that barred creationism from the classroom and forced evolutionism on the minds of our youth, there was actually a movement in the Christian sphere called fundamentalism. And that was the idea mm -hmm. that anything not directly tied to salvation was considered secular and Christians should abstain from taking any part in it. Christians literally gave up the ground. Now nearly every university that was created in the name of Jesus Christ has renounced his existence. That 117 universities or colleges of Christian that, that you were talking about, Christopher, a moment ago, this is what they're, they, they, they now uh, profess. Right. They right. used to be standpoints or outposts for for good now they are professing luciferian ideas and when we look at when we look at that and we, we think about the think tanks that govern the direction of the world how they're being guided by the spirit still trying to undo the judgment of the flood and the tower of babel you know think about the direction that our technology has been heading and specifically the advancement in grain technologies for those who don't know what that term is, it means genetics, robotics, artificial intelligence, and nanotech. All of those are being used to foster a redefining of what it means to be human. Even the World Economic Forum is not shy about this fact. They call it the, uh, what is it, the Fourth Industrial Revolution? Mm -hmm. Which are the very yeah. things that the fallen angels were doing back in Genesis 6. I think there's even a uh, new language teaching company that actually helps to to help that actually aids in helping people overcome the language barrier. Curiously enough, it's called Babel. You know, I want so. Single, I, <laughs> oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I've been tempted so many times because I would love to to know another language, right? Uh huh. It, for for whatever reason, in in the the some type of adopted insecurity that I have. Anyone that knows more languages than me is immediately twice wow. as smart as I am. Like, I don't know why, why I think that it's, it's just, so I'm like, I want to know more languages and like the reviews on Babel are pretty good. So I, I get the, the temptation, but the, I mean, the name on the company is just, I don't know. It's a little bit too much. Duolingo. That's what you, you want to go with Duolingo. It's an app on your phone. It's free and it'll teach you another language. Yeah. My kids used really? it for uh, Spanish in high school and in, in middle school and it, it, they passed. So it works that well. Okay. Christopher, you didn't know about that, man. I've been on that app for about three years, dude. I've got six languages <laughs> under my belt. So that I makes me like 12 yeah, he, times. As but the ones he speaks is he speaks <laughs> Nephilim, antediluvian. Exactly. Uh, he, you signed up for the platinum edition. <laughs> right. Right. I, I had to. You, you right, see who right. my co-host is. You funny. see what I'm dealing with. I do. Yeah. You got you got yourself a real life Nephilim right there. Exactly. I, I got to like really spring these words on you. Oh, here. man. Quantum <laughs> mechanics and all sorts of things. That's funny. Things. This, right. Man, the only class that I had to drop out of in college was uh, another language. 
and it was German. <laughs> the only thing it 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 was German 100, and the only thing this lady said the first day in English was, "There's going to be a test tomorrow," and I'm like, "Oh man, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I am not prepared for this at all." Smart play for a for for another language in college is sign language. If you have if you can find a college that they'll teach you sign language as your foreign language, that's the way to do it. Yeah, that's actually what I wanted to learn. Okay, that, that would actually be pretty cool. Yeah, it comes it comes in handy. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, those I know a couple don't signs. count. Yeah, the ones the ones that when you're driving on the freeway. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're keeping up. What, what did Maverick That's say? That's not Keep, part of it. Goose keeping up foreign relations. <laughs> keeping up That's foreign the, relations. Yeah, you know, yeah. The bird. Yeah. yeah, I know the bird, Goose. <laughs> See, that's the only sign language I've picked up. But you know, every single one of these things oh, we're talking funny. about, you know, they've been they might be used for good in the interim, but they're ultimately being used to to form the third world order. You well, know, what's just, the old adage? What's the old adage? There, there's there hasn't been a weapon made that man hasn't used for evil, or you know, I probably kind of ruin that. That, but that's basically the the feeling of that whole statement is there. There's not a weapon out there, or a piece of technology for that matter, that man hasn't ended up using for evil. You know what? I I used to kind of be against that idea. I used to think that technology could be pure, and then maybe we just corrupt it. But the more research I do, the more I'm starting to reverse that position. And I think you're you're probably right. I think a lot of the stuff that we've been given, even technological advancements, they have been given to mankind for the purpose of literally creating disharmony and creating chaos, creating conflict, and furthering the satanic initiative. Or it's something they've had for 50 years and to be able to put it into the public mindset and knowledge, they finally have to release it at a certain time. True. But even if you follow that stuff back, looking at the military industrial complex, a lot of those and a lot of those technological advancements they got were through trades. And they've right. admitted that they've come from off planet technology, off planet um, information yeah. or entities that they were in league with. Right. So it goes right back to being spiritual. You know, I, I was having a conversation. I think um, I, I forget who I was having this conversation with, but I think it was my dad. But I was really trying to chase this idea. Do you think technology is bad? And he was of the position. No, I think technology is great. You know, what about electricity? And I was like, what about electricity? He said, you know, there's a lot of great things we do with electricity. And I was like, true. But then I got to thinking about it. From what I'm told, the person who discovered electricity was Benjamin Franklin out there flying a kite in a storm. I don't know what he was doing. His Negro senses weren't that that sharp, in my opinion, because we certainly would have been doing that, <laughs> especially not in a storm. Be that as it may, Benjamin Franklin was part of the Hellfire Club. He was an occultist. I'm not even sure mm -hmm. if the, the electronic age that we have wasn't the byproduct of, you know, secret society agendas. I'm not even sure those stories are real necessarily. I don't think it took some guy named Newton to watch an apple fall from a tree to realize that there's some sort of force out there that makes things fall. I'm pretty sure for 5,000 years before that, people knew that things fell when you dropped them out of a tree. You Steve know, Wozniak might, might disagree with you. Yeah, well, he can come to my house. I'm Mine sure, too. I'm sure he knows where <laughs> I live. So. <laughs> But it's the same thing with Benjamin Franklin, too. Like, I'm pretty sure people saw lightning bolts hit the ground and hit a bunch of other things before he discovered electricity. You know, I'm not I'm not sure these stories are necessarily true or if they're allegorical just to prove a prove a point. You know, I don't know. But if, if you if you take if you take Franklin, you just put that on the shelf for a minute. You know, if you take Tesla, 
who still is regarded as one of the most brilliant minds that we've had when it comes to this type of stuff. He admitted that he got his information from another dimension. Yeah. Well, and so did, I mean, you go down that route, even like Gene Roddenberry from the guy who did uh, Star Trek, you know, he got all his episodes stuff from the council of 13. And, you know, there's other people out there who got all their stuff from the, that council of 13, allegedly. And so I, I fully, I, I fully think it's, it, I, th- I find that more believable than somebody just being the first person to stick their side out head of cave and go, Oh, that stuff falling out of the sky is wet. We should, you know, <laughs> yeah i I think we're definitely fed a bill of goods when it comes to the progress of technology and it's not just this uh, i'm not saying that you're wrong but there there is deception that is wrapped (laughs) there's deception that's wrapped up in it because it's it's clearly hasn't been just this nice gradual flow upwards you know, towards information. Well, we've talked before about the Anakathera mechanism, which is a clock that they found with like 52 gears that maps, you know, planetary alignments, moon phases, the Olympics and all of that. Hold on. 1400. John, do you see what I have to deal with? Anakathera <laughs> mechanism. Do you understand when I put that into Google, Google said, who are you talking to? This is not your normal language. Oh yeah, that was that was on my word of day <laughs> toilet paper also. So we must have this <laughs> Oh, that's great. Sorry, bro. (laughs) No, that's all right. So no, this, this clock was actually found very sophisticated, complicated clock, 1400 years before the first like geared watch or timepiece was, was ever designed. So there's clearly not just this, um, this this slow uptick. And and we've also talked about the fact that we we were so inundated with this evolutionary idea, like how many foods did we explode before we found popcorn, you know, that it made popcorn better or whatever. How did we get milk? Yeah. Or who watched a chicken poop out an egg and decided, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna crack that Let's thing crack open it. and eat it. Exactly. Exactly. Right, right. I think we have to take into consideration like you were saying with Tesla, that a lot of this information was actually given to us. It doesn't make sense that we'd eat all of the plants to find the berries that aren't going to kill us, you know, just in a very basic sense. Or how many animals do you have to go through before you figure out cows make the best steak? Right, right, exactly. I think that a lot of this was fed to us through celestial beings. Right, and you can't have people really buying into that because it it's going to reinforce the biblical narrative. Right. Because then you're going to start working backwards. If you're being told that we're improving, which is what you need for an evolutionary model, then you're not going to start back and go, wait a minute. Where was zero originally? Mm -hmm. You know, was was zero when we first started or were we way far ahead and we got reset to zero? Right. You know, are are we really improving or are we recovering? That's a, a big difference. And if we're in recovery mode, what are we recovering from? You know, are we recovering from just loss of knowledge and information or are we recovering from a prior order? And I think the stuff that we see on the landscape of the planet actually testifies to the the answer, which is you're recovering from a prior order, a lost age in which the technological superiority of that age is evident. Because here we are, what, 2000 some odd years at the minimum downwind from this type of stuff. And we still can't figure out how it was done. Well, and they left us clues, right? You look at the pyramids or the Sphinx. I think those are probably two of the, the biggest ones that are out there because I don't know how they were made necessarily. I, I personally, I, I lean towards the idea of some sort of energy field to where you could just lift and 
you know, move bricks kind of in the air. But I guarantee you it was not a million Jews living in Egypt, you know, lining up bricks side by side to make sure. Because if you do, I don't remember who it was. It was, it was either Ellie Marzulli or Chuck Missler. One of them did the math on how long it would have taken to build a, a pyramid, having to lift those bricks and set them in place. And it was it was like three lifetimes or something like that. It was absolutely like, and well, the same thing, the same thing goes with, uh, with the tower of Babel. It's either in Jubilees or Enoch where it talks about once, th- once you started getting to the top, it would take somebody a year's walk to get from the ground to the top, carrying a brick. And if somebody happened to fall off, they would be more sad about the time that was wasted than the person who actually fell off of the, off of the, the scaffolding or whatever and fell to their death. Exactly. Like there's, there's, it's, it's not even plausible to really think that this stuff was made by human hands. I mean, if you just watch Navy SEAL uh, or, or what are they called? Uh, Buds recruits, people that want to go into the SEALs that are in tip top physical shape for the most part, right? Way better than, than the other 99% mm-hmm. of the standard population. They have trouble handling logs, Right. And, and the logs are, 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 are knocking them out. <laughs> and these are some fit dudes. Can you imagine in, in, in a, in a, it's not a skirt, but just in a loincloth, <laughs> some open toe sandals in some sand that you gotta, you gotta mess with Ahmed and 600 other people. <laughs> Will you please move your side over? We're not, prof- we're not alive. Now this is heavy, man. Hurry up. These Egyptians ain't playing. There's no yeah, way. And get- and getting whipped and exactly there's no way did you lose your foot and you fall a year's worth from the top we lost Ahmed well who's gonna take his weight because this thing is heavy <laughs> oh there, there's there's no way but we can't have that conversation people don't want to talk about that because it pushes the biblical narrative well see and that goes well even with the biblical narrative though like people inside the church I'm gonna use big C church right now like they don't want to talk about it because they only know what their pastor tells them and they don't look into anything else. And so if it goes against what their pastor, you know, I've got, I've, I've had pastors before who don't believe the Nephilim were, were fallen angels. You know, they would think, you know, the whole Mm -hmm. children of Seth narrative, you know, had to be human, blah, blah, blah. So there's people in the church who are the same way who think, no, it can't be that way because my pastor says, but they don't look into it in their own. And then they have no clue how to, how to articulate an argument or, or which again is, and I'm not saying this is, this is the reason for, but again, it causes division between people where it shouldn't cause division just because they don't know how to talk to each other about it anymore. Well, like, like we were talking about a moment ago, that fundamentalist movement was so important and literally stripping the, the biblical mind out of the church. Like there's such a rich intellectual heritage that's found within the construct of biblical understanding and the construct of how God designed reality that the church today, unfortunately, is is so anemic and is so in need of. Right. Nobody wants to really think about these things anymore. It's so much easier to farm out your thinking to other people. Right. You can if you're if you're looking for politics, you look at your pundit. If you need to have religious thoughts, you look to your pastor. If you want to have, you know, social thoughts, you go watch The View. I don't watch The View, <laughs> but, you know, some people tend to. And, and you, you farm out all of this stuff and then you become an amalgamation of all these different views that are competing with each other. And you don't know what to believe. But what you won't do is you're not going to do your own research. That takes too much time. 
Well, and critical thinking is something that's just gone away. You know, that's where what it is, you know, in anything now in in a public place, whether whether it's church or school or your family or whatever, public, you know, critical thinking is just it's it's a lost art. You know, really, even school, like kids go to school. And I say this very trepidatiously because my wife is a teacher sitting right there. (laughs) You know, but these kids, these kids are, are like when they when they go to school, they're being taught for one thing, and that's to pass the standardized test at the very end of the school year, mm-hmm. and that's it. They're, they're taught to the test, and that's every teacher will tell you will tell you that same thing. Like it's not taught to critically think or open for a discussion, or you know we don't. I've been told before we don't have time for a discussion because we've got you know they've got to know this stuff, and you know some things, granted math or whatever, it's they're truths are truth in, in math like two plus two is always going to be four five times five is always going to be 25 but some of the other classes you know where critical thinking and discussion or even church critical thinking and discussion would be a really positive thing it just it doesn't happen yeah but you don't want that if, if you're trying we've been talking about the satanic control matrix if you're trying to create an apparatus that literally places everybody under a single thumb what you don't want is imagers of the almighty god executing creative thinking. Oh, absolutely. Right. You want to strip that out. So what did John D Rockefeller, the, you know, what did he say? I I don't want a nation of thinkers. I want a nation of workers. I want people who work. He's the one that was very instrumental in setting up the educational system that we have today, which means when we see this stuff happening, where, you know, you're being taught to not think critically, you're being taught to, to think towards the test. You're not being uh, put in a position where you can, grow as a human being per se, but you're, you're put in positions that actually put you into classes that will be carried out through society. There's no wonder that we, we see these problems stemming up. Right. And unfortunately teachers, which man, they got their mm-hmm. hands full nowadays trying to they handle do. all of this stuff. And it's like the system has worked against them. And it is because we're not trying right. to produce mature people. We just want automatons. Well, you know, I talked to my wife, you know, and she'll come home and like every day it's, she's not just a teacher anymore. Right. She's got to be a, uh, um, she's got to be a psychologist. She's got to be a psychiatrist. She's got to be a doctor. She's got to be this, like she can't just be a teacher. And the parents sit in the school expecting the teachers to be all these things to them as well. You know, right. the parents are like, Hey, we'll get you for two, two hours after school, but huh. we're going to let the school raise you sort of. I hadn't, thing. I hadn't considered that the, 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 the hired expectation you have to fulfill the role of the parent and all of those other ways. That's, that's interesting. Oh, very much, very much, you know, and it's, so I talked about this with, with a couple of people in the past couple of pot and I'm not going to lay all the blame at the parents feet, right? Like growing up, I'm a, I'm a product of divorce, but after school, you know, we'd go to my grandparents' house and then my mom would do what she could after she got off work or whatever. But we still have my grandparents to go to. But to, in today's society, both parents have to work. I go to Lowe's or Home Depot or the food store or Walmart. Somebody who should be enjoying their retirement years, taking care of their kids. Guess what? They're not. They're they're at these stores because they have to work. And society puts those those added stresses on people to where, you know, granted, I you got a kid, you got to find a way to do it. That's just the way that it should be. But at the same time, society does not make it easy for you to be able to do it at all as well. When, you know, a family dinner, whatever now, just because of everybody's schedules is, is a very rare thing. I mean, we'll zoom it. 
<laughs> you know, right. hey, hey, that's what you got to do nowadays. You're, you're spot on. And, and I think a lot of that, I think what's lost for most people is the fact that it's not an accident. It's an no. orchestrated event. It's an outcome that was intended. The problem is that the mechanisms that produce the outcome typically are elongated over time spans that we just don't pay attention to. We got too much going on. So if it took 30, 40 years to break this down, to switch society over um, to a point where first you, you, you change the, the economy, you change the, the value of money, which then has an effect on how much time a person has to now give to work in order to make a certain amount of money to sustain their, their life which in turn has a an effect on home life. You know, how, how long they can be at home actually being a parent, actually being a husband, actually doing what they're supposed to do. You now make it so difficult to have a living that it requires two people to go to work. So now you've got to move people out of the home. Now what happens? The children are either raising themselves in front of a television, we'll leave that alone, or, you know, you put them into a school and you got to let the school raise them. And then when they come out, we're back to television. And now they're being right. raised by a social conditioning apparatus that then changes society overall. And we're going, what happened? It wasn't like this when I was growing yeah. up. No, but it was intended yep. to be changed. Right. Well, and even with that, you know, I, I realized the other day, so I don't know if I said it when we were recording or not, but my I got two boys, right? They're, they're 18 and they're 16 and they play sports and they both work and all these kind of things. So a cell phone is a necessity for, well, not a necessity, but it makes my life a lot easier for them to have a cell phone, mm-hmm. you know, to let me know when they need to be picked up or where they're going, whatever. And I realized the other day, you know, I can sit in this back room that's a hundred feet away from one of their bedrooms and text them a question. But I realized the other day, I'm like, that just leaves whatever personal and spiritual and physical and electrical and vibration, whatever, just completely out of the, you know, so even, even if having a cell phone is a good thing, going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's, it's also a weapon. It may not be a weapon that like I'm throwing at my son's head, but it's a weapon where I'm taking myself out of his life at the same time. Right. That's crazy. I mean, I still texted him earlier when he was in his room and I was here to, but at least I recognize it now. So that's a, that's a start. Well, see, you know, to compensate that they, they make these things called emojis. (laughs) <laughs> that really helps the relational connection. Yeah, I, I always send the pregnant man. That's the there one you I go. Send That's the, the one that really speaks dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm here. Son, I'm here can you please let me know when you're going to be done? Ah, this right. child. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Dude, I don't even know where what it's going to look like in 10 years when you're ready for all this kind of I, stuff. It's going to be. I know. It's going to be interesting. And they recently used to be portals in your yeah, room. They, re- they walk into their closet and appear in your living room. Yeah, it, it, it's weird. They recently dissolved the um, Ohio Board of Education, and now it's governed directly by the governor, which is redundant. But I'm like, I'm trying to make plans to homeschool my children, and I have, I mean, have no idea what that's going to look like. You know, as far as like yeah. r- registering and submitting myself to this this pagan authority, it's. Yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, just put a Baphomet structure outside your house and they'll leave you alone. <laughs> like, you don't have to do anything, but just put it there. 
Yeah, yeah. I stand with Baphomet will be the flag, you know, on the porch. Right, yeah. <laughs> Me and Baphomet on the 33 level. <laughs> and when your house gets struck with lightning, I'm going to be there to actually say, he was part of the occult. Clearly, he's doing another technological sort of upgrade. That's all that was. Forget the 800 episodes. Right, but see, he's going to be there standing there telling Jesus, oh, Jesus, it was there. It was it was there when I got. It. It, was, <laughs> it was there when it, when it happened. It was there when he moved in. It was there when I got. I, the house came with it. I was scared. I was scared to touch it. He's gonna be like, but I told you all to get rid of everything, and I'm like, mm. <laughs> and I'll be sitting right there, like I couldn't believe it when he did it, Lord. I seen him. You would be the one to throw me under the bus. Oh well, you know, you're on your <laughs> way. You kept calling it Asher. God. I don't know what that was about. <laughs> right. <laughs> Lord, we can't tear this down. There are zoning <laughs> rules. You got to understand, OSHA wouldn't allow me to bring down the Baphomet, Lord. It wasn't disobedience. It was that's prudence. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny, man. But no, uh, <laughs> back to what we were talking about. You know, Jesus offered the freedom and guidance on how to live a, pur- a purposeful, meaning- meaningful life in the here and now. And he, he promised hope in the world after. But here's the crazy thing. You know, George Bush Sr. talked about this whole new world order several times. Anybody remembers that uh, address that he gave? You know, we have a thousand, we have a chance now to usher in a new world order of the ages. This is my best George Bush senior. You're doing great. Impersonation. You know, it's a really, it's a really creepy tone that he uses with that. I closed my eyes. I thought it was him. (laughs) (laughs) But here's, here's what's crazy. When he gave that address, you know, it was actually 11 years to the day. When Big Daddy Bush referenced the New World Order, 11 years to the day, we actually suffered the terror attacks of 9-11, which just so happened to be 33 weeks after Baby Bush told us that there was an angel in the whirlwind. Like These things are so connected. These occult numbers and timing not only suggest planning, but occult and pagan influence and all of its political jockeying, the disinformation we, we see, class politics. Division, control measures for domination, they're all part of a satanic plot to create an environment that's suitable to use in Satan's, to, to bring about Satan's seed in a man that he hopes to rule the world and open the title deed to the earth. Think about all the systems put in place that now dominate our world. We got the deep occult, the deep church, and even the deep state. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy. For those that don't know, the, the deep occult represents the well-organized groups of secret societies, like the Skull and Bones, the Bavarian Illuminati, uh, the Masons, the Council on Foreign Relations, and they function behind the scenes in order to gain control of contemporary culture. Now, the deep church, which is uh, it's a hijacked version of the true church, and it functions outside the message of the gospel in order to establish a one-world religion. In short, I'd say the papacy. And then there is the deep state, which consists of smaller factions of political leaders that, in cooperation with their spiritual handlers, pull the invisible strings of government to move nations into this one world order. And what these deep systems are able to do is absolutely astonishing. Right. Like if you think, think MK Ultra, which is an umbrella term that I'm sure people have heard, but it's really uh, a term that covers a whole bunch of government operations that were legally experimenting on American citizens. Think the satanic panic, think the Tuskegee experiments or 9-11 or Maui, think population control. If that doesn't split your wig, then actually think about all of these 
unearth declassified government projects that were initiated by the military industrial complex that were used to really foster population control. You know, Project Blue, Blue Beam, Artichoke, MK Naomi, Monarch, Chaos, Gladio, Mockingbird, Paperclip, Northwoods, Ranch Hand, uh, Operation Popeye, uh, Coindel. Cointel Pro, Project Seal, Stargate, High Jump, Delirium, Operation Midnight Climax, you know, Rainbow, Woodpecker, Blue Book. There's so many to literally go wrap your mind around. Like anybody who's sitting there bored going, I don't think this is real. Take that list that I just ran through. Go do just a little bit of research and just see what this wonderful government that you love was actually up to behind the scenes. These schemes are guided by maniacal think tanks and brain trusts, which are groups of official or unofficial advisors that are concerned, especially with planning and strategy. One such group of renown is actually the Tavistock Institute. And that is a think tank that began in World War II, and it was tasked with developing mind control techniques in order to foster social reengineering. Tavistock actually became the granddaddy of all other brain trusts. Then we have what we like to refer to as the nest industries. That's news, entertainment, social media, and other technologies all of which are being implemented to make you feel right at home as the satanic mind control apparatus surrounds you. And many of these, these mind control operations were codified in the Bernaysian propaganda marketing method, which is a method of using psychological conditioning techniques to manipulate groups into behaving in a desired fashion. We also call that public relations. The desired goal was to create a class of consumers that could be easily distracted away from the elitist class of bloodline families and their desires to serve Lucifer and usher in the Antichrist. With such families like the Kennedys, the Rothschilds, the Astors, the Bundys, the Collins, you know, you got the DuPonts, the Freemans, the Lees, the Onassis, the Russells, the Van Dynes, even the Merovingians, and don't forget the Windsors, which are really the saxe coburg Gotha, all of which claim lineage from the Nephilim kings of old. And they think that this claim or this right to rule that extends from their bloodline makes them superior to and gives them the authority to control humanity, no matter the cost. Basically, they look at us like we're, we're cattle, what they call goyim. And these systems that they enact to rule over the proletariat are straight from the devil himself. Just look at finance. You know, if say we're in control, it would look just like the central banking system that we have now, also known as Babylonian money magic. Yeah, the Babylonian money magic thing was crazy to me because it took a long time and a lot of research. Because the, the issue was everyone was using the term, you know, again, just like John was saying earlier, people throw these terms around and you're like, well, what is it? And they're like, look, that, that's what it is. It's right there. I'm like, yeah, but you, I need you to explain it to me. Well, it so says it's real- Babylonian money magic. Like, what else do you want me to explain? It's Babylonian, it's got some money, and it was magical. <laughs> They're like Disney bucks. <laughs> I want to change our definition now. I like that one better. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, that's funny. But no, Babylonian money magic is the Luciferian system of debt slavery. So it creates money out of debt, either by fractional reserve banking or fiat, fiat currency. Then lending it to a group or nation and leveraging interest that can never be paid back. It's, it's actually a way of controlling people via perpetual monetary enslavement. And we're never taught about these systems because our school system itself has been hijacked by the same groups. Be the, careful, the, the channel. His wife is there. So tread the, lightly. Oh, she, and she can hear me too. Can't she? Uh Oh, 
and the dog. She's got her headphones on now. We're okay, I, she's got her headphones. On. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, it, it, it's crazy because the the channeling of, of demons via Alice Bailey found its way right into our educational system as Robert Mueller proposed new age teachings to serve as the foundation for his world core curriculum, which in turn would serve as the basis for our educational reform. The the reform initiative that was championed by both President Bush and Clinton. But our whole educational model was messed up. I mean, it, it's not just that issue. The formation of our school system wasn't based on educating children, but on conditioning soldiers. These soldiers would be thoroughly brainwashed us, using the Prussian educational model, which is a system of education designed by the Prussians in order to turn children into mindless soldiers. Its three goals are to destroy individuality, reduce intelligence, and re-engineer society. They called it kindergarten. I mean, it's, it's horrendous. This is the system American education is based on, and it was turbocharged using the progressive educational method. So John Dewey continued to contaminate the schools with his um, progressive education or collectivism. His method was a humanist-inspired instructional approach that displaced parents and teachers as guardians of objective truth, and instead really just, um, he, he aspired to shift the students towards using um, experience and feelings to derive truth and meaning. And it, this has had treacherous effects on our sexuality, as the physical foundations of being of our biology are being broken up to make way for just feelings-based alternative facts. It's, it's terrible. Sexuality should be the dichotomy of our foundational biology, but it's being dismantled by the spiritual overlords by shifting the minds of the educators, and it's enforced by satanic legislation to break apart the nuclear family just as, it, as it's being put together. And all of these are falling in line with the character and the tactics of Satan himself. Exactly. But, you know, to bring this full circle and answer the question that we've been asked, which was, how the hell did we end up here? This really is the answer. And the challenge is, it's not really a simple answer that can fit into a 30 second soundbite. You know what I mean? Everything that we've been talking about today, John, and we've covered a lot. You know, we got into the pursuit of man the fall, the declaration of war between the woman and the serpent, the Genesis 6 incursion, God's response to that incursion, Jesus's insertion into the timeline, the cosmic nature of blood and how that impacts Jesus' covenant with us, the creation of the satanic control matrix as a response to what happened at Calvary, the spiritual new age and how it led to the emergence of transhumanism and grain technologies. We even gotten to the emergence of the deep occult, the deep church, and even the deep state and all of the government-backed secret projects and operations and how they're being funded by Babylonian money magic. That's a lot to cover, but it's our contention that all of that is being done to foment the creation of the new world order, which is really an interdimensional military campaign that's intended to reestablish Satan's antediluvian or pre-flood reign by constituting a satanic confederacy in order to liberate creation from what Satan deems to be the oppressive hand of the creator. By subjugating humanity, 
overthrowing the divine council and enthroning the Antichrist as the replacement Messiah, all while following the most ancient of Luciferian passions, the desire not to do the Father's will like Jesus did, but as Jay-Z and Aleister Crowley so infamously put it, to do as thou wilt. That is the whole of satanic law and is how we got here today. Yeah. I can't make it any more better than that, so I'm not even going to try. <laughs> might have to uh, might have to go through this a couple times to uh, get a dictionary and figure out what exactly Christopher said in a couple of those sentences. But other than that, hey, if you get at the source as well, I thought that that was a lost dinosaur. <laughs> Apparently, it's not. Maybe I'll get like a like a scientific thesaurus and like a theological thesaurus, and then you know, exactly maybe that maybe that'll help a little bit. So. Strong's concordance. You know, something, something <laughs> yeah. will help you out there. Exactly. exactly. I've got my strongs around here somewhere. So right. I, know, I know that'll work. So, no, fellas, thank you again very much for coming on. It uh, Absolutely. It's been good. And, and you know, everybody's kind of um, had their own different way to, to look at things. But you guys kind of, you know, upped it a notch and took it um, – Took it in, into the spiritual level into a into a way that I think everybody knows is out there, but nobody, not a lot of people are are willing to touch just because they don't really know how to get into all that spiritual juju stuff that's out there, mm-hmm. and you know it's it's kind of scary, um, especially if you don't have a background in it. You got a background that only shows one side, but not others, and um, so thank you for both of you guys coming on, laying it out. Um, before I end it, go and tell people one more time where to find you guys, and uh, and we'll go from there. Well, you can find us at, uh, I was going to say Patreon.com, but you can find us at ORPpodcast.com. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at uh, ORP Podcast. And then, uh, as Christopher said at the beginning, we do have a Patreon, Patreon.com slash ORP Podcast, uh, where we put up all of our uh, studio notes, the things to our shows, as well as uh, any episodes that, that we have. All of our content's over there as well. But if you just want to hit us up, you can. Instagram is probably the best way to, to do that. Uh, also, you can email us at let's talk at orppodcast.com. And always up for a great conversation. Yeah. Now, this has been fun. Uh, I'll plug their show for them too. There's a lot of great content, pretty closely uh, approaching that century mark. I will warn people, though, that if you don't want your Marvel movies ruined for you, <laughs> or. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy three and all. Like, don't go listen to their podcast uh, because they will uh, they'll ruin it for you because it's true. That's the that's the that's the worst part is it's true. It'd be different if it wasn't true. It's just an opinion. But uh, what you guys put out there is is pretty factual. Thanks, so uh, thanks. Yeah, for Christopher and Jason, I'm John the Fed. This has been uh, another episode of the How the Hell Did We Wind Up Here podcast. Go ahead and check them out. Uh, all 86 episodes may not be to your liking, but I guarantee you there's going to be at least a handful that you can grab, you can listen to, learn something, and uh, maybe start a couple conversation with them. So uh, for that, we'll uh, we'll head on out. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, thanks John. Man. It's been great. Thanks, man.